Welcome to Broadcast 1132. You can join us live every Sunday during our worship experience in Allen, Texas or at church1132.com. This is Take Heart Part 2, Psalm 27, verse 13 through 14. It says, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Now, if you missed last week, I'll just give you a little recap. We talked about blind Bartimaeus, and blind Bartimaeus, it's interesting, is that this, this story uh, that we read in the New Testament actually paralleled what we read in Psalm 27. It says, wait for the Lord. Be strong, take heart, and wait for the Lord. It repeats itself. Waiting is really important when we're trying to take heart. I don't know if you've ever been through anything in your life, but waiting is definitely a big part of God's plan and process in whatever we go through. And we talked about uh, not calling a fight or assuming the outcome too soon. It was right after the fight between Conor McGregor and Floyd May Mayweather. And, uh, and we talked about after third round, it looked like maybe it was a draw. Maybe Conor could have a chance. By the end of the 10th round, there was no question. Floyd Mayweather took care of business. And I've got great news for everybody is that your, your life doesn't end after round three. You're going to go the full distance. You're going all 12, and the Bible says that in the end, you win. So we talked about this last week, how important it is for us to not give up in the battles and the difficulties of life. And we, we talked about the word take heart actually means to cheer up. So when it says take heart anywhere in scripture, it usually translates to cheer up. So you could translate that scripture like this. Wait for the Lord. Cheer up. Cheer up. You know, you ever went through something? That's not exactly what you wanted to hear. It's like, man, it's just been a rough week. Cheer up. Like, thank you. It's like, no, no empathy, no compassion. But I'm going to tell you this. God wouldn't ask you to do something if it wasn't deep down in you. When he said be strong, when he said cheer up, it's because he knows that you have the capacity and he knows that you have the ability to do those things. Now we're going all the way to Matthew uh, chapter 9, verse 1 through 8. It's the first book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 9, verse 1 says, Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, Get up, take your mat, and go home. Then the man got up and he went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given such authority to man. Now I want to talk from this subject, take heart in our moments together, and I really want to try to encourage you that whatever God's doing in your life has a purpose. Whatever you're walking through, there is a reason or there's something God's trying to do in you and through you in the midst of it. And we talked about this last week is that we can't assume the outcome before we get to our destination. It's like God's not done yet. He's not through yet. And in this story, it's a story of a paralyzed man who's been paralyzed, we think, from birth. And he has men, some friends that are with him. And because he can't walk, they're carrying him. 
Now, I, I don't know uh, how many flights you've been on or uh, how, many, how often you fly. I know we have many people that fly a lot, and uh, I happen to fly a lot, speaking different places, and uh, I'm on airplanes a lot. I prepare a lot of messages on airplanes, and uh, it's a little mobile office, and uh, we, were, we were flying yesterday uh, home from a trip, and uh, we're, we're on the plane, and we got a nonstop flight. How many of you like those nonstop flights? I'll take a nonstop. Uh, I, I know a couple of people, they like uh, flights with layovers. I don't know why, but they're just like, they get these flights. They just want to stop different places. And uh, I don't know if they don't fly very often or what, but I do not like a layover. I want to get to the final destination. Now, many of you, if you had to have a layover, you find out that when you have a layover, somebody comes over the loudspeaker, and they begin talking about the destination. And they say, this plane is continuing on. So if this is not your future destination, this is not your final destination, you need to get off, right, and get on the plane that's taking you to your final destination. I, I was praying for you this week, and I really felt like that many of us are confusing layovers with final destination. I, I feel like it's easy when life hits us to think that a layover could be the place where we're staying. But I've got good news for you this morning is that if you've hit a delay, if you've hit a speed bump, if you've went through some difficulty, this is great news, is God's not through with you. There's an old preacher that used to say all the time, delayed is not denied. And just because you went through some delays does not mean you're denied. Your future and final destination is when you get to where God's taking you. And just because you're walking through some discouragement today or some opposition today, it does not mean that this is your final destination. I found and I did, did some study about discouragement, and there was four main reasons that people get discouraged that I want to share with you. Four main reasons for discouragement. One of the main reasons for discouragement was fatigue. It's interesting. Just being tired. Getting worn out. There's a, there's a preacher that used to say, uh, the most spiritual thing you can do sometimes is to take a nap. I don't know if I totally agree with that 100%, but I will say this, is we think about things differently when we're weary than when we're rested. So many people, they're not really discouraged, they're worn out. Many people aren't really depressed, they're burnout. And if they could get some rest, if they could get some vitality, if they could get a, a little bit of pep in their step, then they would all of a sudden not be as discouraged. Fatigue. The second reason they said that people were discouraged was frustration. Anybody ever dealt with some frustration? I mean, anybody have kids? Anybody married? Okay. Um, you've dealt with some frustration. They say that a lot of discouragement happens as a result of frustration. I'm frustrated with my job. I'm frustrated with my family. I'm frustrated with my income. I'm frustrated with things that I can't control. Frustration. The third thing they said is that people were discouraged because of failure. I think this is a big one. Because it's not oftentimes even the reality of failure. It is the perspective of failure. Sometimes we feel like we failed. Maybe in parenting or maybe in marriage or on your job. You feel like you failed, but maybe you really haven't. But even that feeling will fuel discouragement, fatigue, frustration, uh, failure. And the last one that, we, that, that, that I found was fear. Fear fuels discouragement. I begin to think about that is that so many people are affected by fear. 
The, the things that really keep us from going all out for God, what are they? They usually fear. The things that keep us from taking the risks that God has for us, usually it's fear. The, the, the things that keep us from having conversations that we need to have, usually fear. And people get discouraged as a result of these things. Now, I want to tell you that discouragement finds its root in the heart. They, they, they say when someone is discouraged, it is as if they've lost heart. Now, we talked about this last week, that if you don't take heart, then you lose heart. So discouragement is when you have lost your heart. I've found that when going through pain and difficulty and, and discouragement, that God is actually closer in those times than in any other times. I found this quote this week. It says, God whispers to us in our pleasure, but shouts to us in our pain. If you're going through something today, I want you to know that God is closer than you think that he is. That God sees you. He sees what you're going through. He sees what you're walking through. He has compassion on you. And just because you're on a layover doesn't mean that's your final destination. Just because you hit a little bit of a pitfall, just because you hit a speed bump, does not mean that this is the final destination. I've got news for someone. God is still working. God is not done. The fight is not over. Just because you got knocked down, just because you took a hit, just because you got discouraged again or disappointed again or someone broke your trust again, I'm going to tell you it's a layover. It is not your final destination. In this story, this, this paralyzed man, he, the, the, this is a famous story. It's in the, the, the account in Mark, also the account in Luke. And in Mark and Luke, they both mention something that Matthew doesn't mention. They said that the four men that were helping him, he's paralyzed, he's laying on a mat. The four men that were helping him went to take him into the house. When they went to take him into the house, they found that the house was crowded and they couldn't get in. Now, I don't know what would be more discouraging than to have a glimmer of hope that you could get your buddy healed and you show up at the house and the house is crowded, the door is shut, you can't get in. The Bible says that they would not be denied, so they went to the roof and they started like pulling the roof apart. And the Bible says that they actually lowered this man all the way down to the feet of Jesus. Now, I don't know how high the roof was or what was happening, but Jesus was teaching probably some brilliant message. And as he's preaching, the roof starts coming off. You know, it's like, for me, I'll be like, oh, that would be really distracting. A couple weeks ago, we had a guy flip over the back row in the chair. You know, he's doing the wrong thing, like tipping back. And all I saw was feet go over the back row. He's like, gone. And I'm just going to tell you, it's distracting. And if someone was lowered through the roof, I would do my best to continue on. But we might be distracted. And so the Bible says that they were lowering the man down to Jesus. Now, I don't know how they let him down. Because after they broke through the, the roof, they might have been tired. Maybe they dropped him. I don't know. It wouldn't have mattered much. He was paralyzed already. So, I'm sorry. That's, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have said that. Regardless, he needed healing. And so there he is at the feet of Jesus. Can't walk. Jesus knew right away what he needed. You know, it's like, okay. I'm going to tell you this. It's interesting to me. That this man had no ability to get to Jesus, but he was with people that did. 
I'm going to tell you there's something really powerful about the people you surround yourself with. Because when you get in a fight that's bigger than you, it may be difficult for you to be what you need to be. And when you're in that fight and you're discouraged and you're losing strength and you're losing hope, you need people around you to say, get on the mat. We're going in. The room's crowded. No big deal. We're going up. And we go up and then we'll break through. I'm going to tell you, you need breakthrough friends. You need friends that will break through any opposition, any difficulty, will tell you the truth. Will let, this is why we tell you to get in a group. Your group is full of faith-filled people that when your faith runs out, they will be able to stand by you, pick you up, take you to the house. Well, door's shut, no biggie. We'll go to the roof. Roof's pretty thick and it's a far drop, but you're paralyzed already. Let's go. I mean, th- th- that's what good friends will do for you. They'll get you to the feet of Jesus. Now there's some elements found in this story about faith that I want to give to you, and and they're very simple, but I think in some ways very profound if you understand how Jesus talks about faith. We're going to talk about, firstly, a strong faith. A strong faith. Not just faith, but a strong faith. It says that some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. These men would not let anything deter them from getting him to Jesus. They didn't let the crowded... You know, Christians, honestly, not in this church. I'm sure other churches, other services than this one. Some believers are just really weak. I mean, they have faith for a second. They pull in the parking lot, can't find a parking spot. Up, going to In-N-Out. I mean, it's like, for for a moment. It's just, sometimes you got to have a... In-N-Out sounds really good right now. I don't know. I'm just hungry. Um, Sometimes you have to have a fight... That says, I'm not going to be denied. I have to have something in me that says, this is not just faith. This is a strong faith. A strong faith regards no obstacles in pressing after Christ. They carried him on a mat. The house was crowded. Didn't faze him. They broke through the roof. You need to, if you're going to have a faith that allows you to take heart, you're going to have to have a strong faith. I've never met anybody that has not had their faith challenged you're just going to go through days and seasons and maybe you're in one today where your faith is challenged you know I love this I talk about this a lot is that Paul says he says fight the good fight of faith I think that most Christians want to rewrite it and say live the fairy tale of faith Let's just hope this happens and hope this happens and God will do this for me and God do that for me. And if you didn't do it, that's not fair. Life's not fair. And we do this. And Paul, he understood it. He said, hey, hey, guys, uh, this, this is a fight. I don't know why you thought that one little prayer you prayed, that one little day you served Jesus was going to be a knockout blow to the devil. No, this is a fight. And when you hit him, he hits back. The Bible says the kingdom of God suffers violence, but it's the violent that take it by force. You've got to have something in you that's not just a faith, not just a prayer. You've got to have a strong faith, a a faith that will stand in a storm, a faith that will not be denied, a faith that will break through when other people can't break through. The second thing that you need is you need a humble faith. People don't talk about this very often, but this is something that, that, I, that I really saw was strategic in how we come to Jesus because I find that a lot of people come to Jesus with a sense of entitlement. And, and, and we think that we deserve, for this man who's lowered or dropped through the ceiling, he probably felt like he deserved. We don't know, it doesn't say, but many of us, when we're in, afflicted in any way, we think we deserve to be healed because it's unfair that we're paralyzed and they're not. 
So God, where are you? And then we get mad at God. But a humble faith says, God, I'm coming to you. I'm going to do whatever I can to get to you. I'm, I'm coming to you. I'm laying at your feet, literally. I'm here, and I need you. But I, that, that humility says, I'm not going to make you come to my house. I'm coming to your house. Do you know many believers, they just sit back and wait for God to move? I'm going to tell you, God already moved. God moved when he sent Jesus to come on, walk on this earth, and to do miracles, and raise people from the dead, and to lay his own life down, so that you and I could have access to the presence of God, instant access, whenever we want, however we want, we could come into relationship with Jesus. He made his move. Now it's time for us to make ours. And humility says, Jesus, I'm going to go where you are. You know, there's never an account in all of the Gospels, there's never an account of them saying, the friends saying, hey, let's go to Jesus, and we'll try to get him to come to your house. Even though he's paralyzed, he can't move. They said, we're going to him. You know what that tells me? They were honoring. It's interesting how the presence of God shows up where there's honor. A strong faith. A humble faith. If you lose your heart, you will forfeit your comeback. I'm going to tell you what happened when they came humbly. When they came humbly, they understood that Jesus was not just after his feet. He was after his heart. Because I want you to see this. They come and they lower him or drop him down at the feet of Jesus. And he's there. It's obvious that he's paralyzed. Obvious. He can't move. He can't walk. And this is what Jesus says to him. Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. I don't know about you, but like I would say thank you. But also, like, my feet. That's why I'm here. Like, I can't walk. I appreciate. I appreciate the sins being forgiven thing. But, like, I also need. And this is how most of us are, is that we want God to touch us externally, but avoid touching us internally. I'm going to tell you this. A humble faith says, God, I understand that to get me healed externally, you might have to do something inwardly. This is why you can't lose heart because you'll forfeit your victory. You've got to understand that God is after your heart. Jesus was after, always after the heart. He was always after the root. He was always after the, 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 the thing that really made it work. He knows the thoughts, the intents, the motives of our heart. He even said to the Pharisees, he said, knowing their thoughts. He knows he knows what we're dealing with. He knows what we're walking through. He knows what we're encountering. And in that, we need a humility that says, Jesus, even if I can't walk externally, will you heal me internally? Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but in Jewish law, there was always a connection between sin and sickness. They really believed that if you were sick, it was a result of sin. And this is why many times Jesus said, go and sin no more. You hear him talk about sin. You talk, because in their mind, the Pharisees, he was speaking to them by doing this miracle and by saying first, I'm going to forgive them of their sin. Because if he would have healed his body without forgiving their sin, they would have thought that was, that was un, impossible. It was an anomaly. So he says, I'll heal his heart, but I'll also heal his feet. I'm going to tell you this. Some of us are discouraged because of guilt or shame of things that we've done or things that we've walked through. And that will rob you of heart. It'll rob you of the ability to take heart 
and to be everything that God's called you to be. Proverbs 13.2 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Jesus wants to heal your heart so you can have the faith for him to heal your feet. He wants to heal you inwardly so that you can have the faith to stand outwardly. He wants to do something on the inside of you. I, I know, I know, I know we just want just millions of dollars to show up in our bank account so that we can pay all our bills. That, that, that's great. That's external. But what he wants to do is he wants to remove your heart from the attachment of money. And once you prove that when he gets it to you, it can get through you, he says, I can trust them. Now I'll bless them. We want the blessing without the test, but God's after your heart. He's after the thoughts, the motives, the intents. He wants us inwardly to be right. Listen, if you get your heart right, your life will be right. If you can get right inwardly, if you can get healed inwardly, then everything else will come to pass. A strong faith, a humble faith, and lastly, we see an active faith. This is what Jesus said to him in verse 6. He says, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. Then the man got up and went home. Now I want you to see this action. Is he wasn't healed before he got up. This is the same thing we talked about last week with blind Bartimaeus. He was blind when he came to Jesus. Jesus said, call him. Cheer up. Jesus is calling you. And he starts following him blind. He has not been healed yet. The same thing with this man. He says, get up. But he's not healed yet. So there is this moment of uncertainty in the journey of faith where you decide to do before you feel. The obedience before understanding. This is where it gets really difficult when you're in the fight of your life and you don't understand why you're going through what you're going through. And God says, I want you to have faith. I want you to believe. I want you to be strong. I want you to, I want you to, and you got to understand, you got to obey before you understand. He says, get up. This man had never gotten up in his entire life. So there was this moment of uncertainty, but then he got up. He attempted to get up. God's power came when he obeyed. When you have a strong faith, when you have a humble faith, when you have an active faith, it is not enough just to have it. You've got to work it out. James chapter 2 verse 17 says, In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Jesus gives him a command that he can only obey with God's strength. Let me say it this way. Faith is a verb. It's an action word. It, 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 it is not something that is dormant. It is not something that you just have. It's an emotion that you have. Faith is is action. The Bible says in our passage, it says Jesus saw their faith. How did he see it? Well, he saw them breaking through the roof. He saw, wow, these guys must really believe because here they come, breaking through the roof. I'm going to tell you, your faith has to have action, which means I believe when we're believing God for Wiley, we are going to take action. We're not waiting until everything is in our hand. We're not waiting until we feel right and confident. No, God told us to take a risk, so we're taking a risk. And now we have to stand in a place of faith with active faith, believing that the layover is not the final destination. Your faith should move you. I want to help somebody in Psalm 23. You might know this passage talks about the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In verse 4 it says, yea, though I walk through the, just stop right there for a second. Though I walk 
I walk, not camp, not chill, not wait, though I walk. How do you wait for the Lord? You walk. How do you wait for the Lord? You move. How do you wait for the Lord? You take action. How do you have faith? It is an active faith. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Oh, it's not even death? No, it's just a shadow. No, it just looks bad. It just looks like your final destination. It just looks like how you'll end up. It just looks like how your marriage is going to end up. It just looks like it. just looks like it. It's a shadow. And last time I checked, if, if you want to get rid of a shadow, then you just have to shine a brighter light. Yea, though I walk, 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 I'm moving forward. I want to, as we close, I want to break down the word discouragement. I want to break down discouragement into three parts. The first part, dis, D-I-S, dis. That root word denotes failure. So when you, when you see discouragement, the first part of that is failure. The second part of it is courage. And it comes from a French word that actually means heart means heart. Discouraged. It means failure of the heart. Now many of us get discouraged and many of us walk through discouragement. Let me give you the last part of this word. Mint, discouragement is when a verb turns into a noun. A verb is an action word. A noun is what? A person, place, a place. Oh, a place. When I have discouragement, it is when I have made my action into a place. You know what happened with this man? He was paralyzed. He was lying on a mat. He thought that his final destination was where he was. He thought that what he was going towards was halted, and now his final destination was to be paralyzed for the rest of his life. What was once active became a place. This is the enemy's plan for your life. It's for to get you to, in your faith where it's active and where it's strong, where it's humble, to finally get you to a place of discouragement where the verb turns to a noun. Just because you were discouraged, now you become full of discouragement. And now it's a place. You know what I think? I think that many of us, when we've encountered storms in our life, we got off of the flight of destiny before we got to our final destination. We got off at the layover, not understanding that God wasn't done writing our story yet. Not understanding that God wasn't done with us yet. I've had some layovers. Anybody had some layovers? I've had some layovers. And there were times where discouragement set in, and I thought, this must be the place. This must be the place where I'm going to be. This is where I'm going to be forever. This situation will never change. He'll never change. She'll never change. This will never change. It'll never change. It'll never. It's become a place, but God doesn't want you to stay in that place. Luckily for this paralyzed man, he had four faith-filled friends that said, we will not let your verb turn into a noun, and they lowered him through the feet to Jesus, and Jesus wasn't done. He said, I'm going to heal your heart. And I'm going to heal your feet. I'm going to heal you on the inside. And I'm going to heal you on the outside. I'm going to do a work in you that everyone will stand and marvel about how good God is. Because they saw you on the layover when you thought it was final. But delayed is not denied. Delayed is not denied. The enemy will attempt to turn your trouble from a journey into a destination. That's what the plan of this world is. That's what the plan of the enemy is, is to get your journey 
to end too soon. This, this is why. Let me give you this. Can I go a little deeper? It, 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 says that, it says that the mat, I want to just give you a play on words. It says that he was lying on a mat. But I'm going to just flip it. The, he was lying on a mat that was lying to him about his future destination. He was lying on something that was lying to him. Whatever you're lying on, wherever your difficulty is, wherever your paralysis is, wherever your dysfunction is, wherever your disease is, wherever it is, what you're lying on is lying to you that that is your final destination. I'm going to tell you by the Spirit of God that God is not done. Your layover is not final. Your layover is not the destination that He has for you. This plane of destiny will not stop until you get to the end. What you've been lying on has been lying to you. The Bible says that the enemy is the father of all lies. We got believers lying everywhere, paralyzed, thinking that what they're lying on is permanent. Let me give you one more. It says in the account in Mark and Luke, it says this, it says when Jesus healed him, he said, pick up your mat and go. And so he picked up his mat and carried it home. I'm going to tell you how God works in your life. Whenever you have a mat that is lied to you, when Jesus heals you, you will pick up what you once laid on and you carry it. What, what, what am I doing in ministry today? All I'm doing is carrying what I used to lay on. What, what do I preach? All I'm preaching is what I used to lay on and now I carry. That's the only thing that I talk about is the grace of Jesus in my life that when I thought it was my final destination, he said, I'm not done with you yet. I'm not finished with you yet. That layover will not be final. Pick up what you've been lying on. That will be the fuel to your ministry and what I once thought was final actually became what I carried and now what I carry, now my ministry, now my preaching is not with wise and persuasive words but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power that men might not rest on human wisdom but on the power of God because except for the grace of God there goes I. I used to be lame. I used to be paralyzed. I used to be judgmental. I used to be critical. I used to be camped out in discouragement. But thank God he didn't leave me there. Thank God I had faith-filled family and faith-filled friends and a faith-filled wife that believed for greatness. God said, I'm not going to let your delay get in the way of your destiny. I'm going to help you carry what used to carry you. And you're going to bring that same ministry to thousands of us. And the same is true for you. Would you stand up with me? I feel the Spirit of God today. Some of you came in. Some of you didn't even know if you'd come to church today. You didn't even know if you're going to come today. Thank God you did. Because if you don't hear anything else, you need to hear this. The mat is not your final destination. I feel like I just can't move. I feel like I just can't walk. That's okay. Neither did he for years. It still wasn't final. It's not final. Come on. It's a fight. This isn't a sprint. This isn't a Sunday sprint. This is a marathon. It's a marathon. 
We've got to be in this thing for the long haul. It takes a strong faith. It takes a humble faith. It takes active faith that understands that what I've been lying on has been lying to me, that it's final. I just want to declare to you, it's temporary. It's temporary. Don't grow weary in doing good. For in due season, you will reap a harvest. Thanks for listening. You can find out more about us at church1132.com.